Hey there, I'm Lee Rowley, and this is Lee After Dark. Why? Because there's more to being a business leader than just business. Each episode, one brave entrepreneur ejects the elevator pitch and just gets real. Today, I'd like to welcome Joel Hawbaker. Joel, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Lee. I'm excited about talking with you, um, enjoying the, uh, the idea of just having a good, fun conversation. And uh, like I said, you look good. You look uh, nicely dressed. I should have, uh, should have checked that out ahead of time. I should have busted <laughs> well, out my new you. suit. Uh, I got I to I gotta keep up with the shtick. You know, I've committed to this, so we're, we're doing it. So thank I you like very it. much, and thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, the rules are simple. Uh, for the next 20 minutes, we can talk about anything you want but your business. Now, uh, if you're successful, you have five minutes afterward to pitch, and I'm pretty loosey-goosey with the rules, so it's not really a big thing. Uh, oh, and there's my cat. That's wonderful. Uh, Axel, oh, good. Okay, so my dog's over here hanging out with me as well. Yeah. That makes me feel better. Animal disruptions are perfectly fine. It happens. So, All <laughs> right, well, I'm going to go ahead and start the timer then, and okay. uh, what do we want to get into for the next 20 minutes? Um, so I am a high school teacher a lot of the time, and I love being able to talk with people who are not high school kids. So just being able to have a conversation with actual rational adults is kind of a privilege. Um, I'm excited about that. I would love to. I don't know if you're into it at all. I would love to discuss the writings of either J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis, right? Because okay. I, I love those authors, or any historical topic ever because I love teaching history. I love talking about it. It's even more fun to talk about it with people who aren't 14. Very nice. Okay, well, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not really a, a Tolkien person. Okay. Uh, so let's do that. Okay. All right. So I love Tolkien. Um, I didn't when I was in high school. Uh, okay. But I, I, you know, I had a buddy in high school who read Tolkien. I thought the guy was just a big nerd. Um, he was also a good athlete, but I just thought he was like, what are hobbits and wizards? And I'm not into that stuff. I was into, you know, spy novels and Tom Clancy and John Grisham lawyer novels and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I got to college, and I was very blessed. I got to do a, um, a study abroad at the University of Oxford in the UK. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. That's where Tolkien and Lewis did a lot of their work. It's where they both taught for decades. And while I was there, it was at the same time that the first of the Lord of the Rings movies was coming out. So Fellowship of the Rings, it was spring of 2001. It had come out in the fall, but I hadn't seen it yet. So I thought, okay, I'm here at Oxford. There's a movie coming out based on this book. I'm the kind of nerd that if I'm going to watch the movie, I got to read the book first. So I sat Fair down enough. and so I'm, so I'm studying at Oxford. I'm studying medieval civilizations and um, I'm taking a full-time course load. I'm also working two part-time jobs because it sounds like fun. And mm. I'm also playing on um, the college soccer team while I'm there and playing for new college. So I was pretty busy in the midst of all of that. I read the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings all together in about a month and a half. Holy smokes. It was awesome. Had a great time. Just what, blazed through these books. What were you trying to prove? I just really want, I had to read the books first. You know what I mean? Fair um, enough. So it was a lot of fun and I fell in love with them. And so now okay. it's 2019 and I've either read the books or listened to the audiobooks or both every year since then. Um, I've, I've got the extended editions of all the movies. My kids grew up watching them. They can't even they just they, they roll their eyes because I quote Tolkien at them on an almost daily basis. I do the same <laughs> thing in my classroom. Um, I've got so I teach history and instead of like world maps or U.S. maps on the wall, I have maps of Middle Earth and Numenor. Ooh, okay. Which is a lot of fun. You know, kids are trying to cheat on tests. They're trying to look back at the map. I'm like, buddy, you're not going to find Virginia next to the Shire. Mm -mm. It, it's not there. You're you're not going to find it on the map of Numenor. 
and the lens to the like it's just not there, man. I'm sorry. Um, so I love it. I, I think the I think that his works, especially the Lord of the Rings, I think it is um, for me it was life changing because it it's it's just so good. It's entertaining, yes, but it also teaches great stories of courage and morals, and it talks about the kind of people that we want to become, and it talks about fighting back against the forces of darkness and evil, even when the odds seem hopeless, and it's just crazy inspirational. Uh, and so I love I love reading Tolkien. I actually wrote uh, an article that was published on the Sci-Fi Network website a few years ago. Uh, it was this giant four-part article comparing the work of Tolkien and Lewis and um, why they were uh, the kind of authors they were, what they wrote about, the similarities, the differences. Uh, because I would say that at this point in my life, those are by far my two favorite authors. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity and Screwtape, and he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love those. My kids, again, my kids grew up reading those books as well. And uh, it was just so much fun to, uh, uh, to read those stories and, again, read them over and over again because you always come across something new and encouraging and inspiring. Um, and it's just been – it's a lot of fun, again, for the last 18 and a half, 19 years now uh, to be – really engaged in those worlds, you know, Narnia and Middle Earth. They're just, I, I love it. And so, you know, that comes across when I teach. It comes across uh, uh, when I have conversations with people on the street. I, one of my students sent me a meme the other day, and it was really funny because it was a picture of a person who just had words coming out of their mouth at 100 miles an hour. And the, the caption at the bottom just said, me, whenever anyone mentions Tolkien. Ah, like, okay. Yes, that's nice. exactly right. I can't help it. It's just fun. Um, so... I, I do. I, I love talking about that stuff. It's so it's so much fun. That's really cool. So, you know, do you often find yourself in the position of talking to people who? It's not. I'm not really. You know, it's. I, I've just not really exposed myself enough to it to know be like you know my precious and. You know, <laughs> uh, That's good. That's really all you need. That's the important yeah, part. Right. 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 Uh, the surface. So I mean, I, like I get the gist, but like mm -hmm. you know, somebody. I, I love talking to people who like really dig deep in these things, you know, and see like what it, what exactly it is they get out of it. You mentioned the, the, the lessons and, you know, mm -hmm. it is, um, you know, it, it is kind of a, a version of the hero's journey, really. It absolutely um, you know, is. As is, yep. you know, Star Wars and you know, yep. people are fanatical about Star Wars. Absolutely. Uh, Love those. Is, um, I remember I, I was not really into comic books so mm -hmm. much, but there was one series uh, called the Sandman. Mm -hmm. uh neil gaiman it was like, okay uh, uh out in the 80s i think i re-released it in the mid 90s and so forth and really that whole thing was just the hero's journey spread out okay. over across you know the, uh, a, a different type of fantasy world i suppose um you know so i i love seeing just like you know how you pick these things out of that so i mean what mm -hmm. you know can you tell us about like specific you know uh you know, like say scenes exchange sure. conversations that, that you use in your examples yeah, absolutely. There's one great quote from Tolkien uh, that I use all the time, and it's wonderful. He says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us, right? Because he's been having a conversation with another character, and the other character is just saying, I wish that the ring hadn't come to me. This is really hard. I wish that this had happened to anybody else in the world. And he <laughs> says, yes. He says, you know, so do I. 
So do all who see such times, but that's not for us to decide. Mm -hmm. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And that, that's every one of us. That's our lives. We don't get to determine who our parents are. We don't get to determine what kind of situation we're born into. We don't get to choose uh, our, uh, our race. We don't get to choose the time period that we're born into. Like we just, we get, we get dealt a set of cards and we do the best with it that we can. And some of us get better cards than others. And that just is the way, but it doesn't mean that you can't overcome some of those things. Right. And it, it, it's just, it's, again, it, it's encouraging and it's inspiring. Um, and I particularly love it because you can't tell I'm, I'm seated right now. Um, but I am only about five foot three and a half inches tall. So I am very close to Hobbit height. And one of the, one of the big things in my world is just overcoming that. And it sounds kind of goofy and people make jokes about having short man syndrome or Napoleon complex. Those are a hundred percent real things. Cause I live it every day. Sure. Uh, and, you know, it, it's goofy, but I, I talk about stuff uh, with some of my students about how things that they take for granted are actual things that I have to deal with, right? So if I go to the bathroom and I go to wash my hands, I have to lean farther over the sink, and there's a good chance I'm going to get a, a water spot right on my belly button where it hits the, where it hits the edge of the, the counter because I have to reach that far to turn the faucet on. Or, or like my bookshelf behind me, I can't reach the top one without standing on my toes or standing on something. So we decorate our house a little bit differently because my wife and I aren't real tall. So we, you know what I mean? Just goofy sure. stuff like that. Um, so I, I love that quote from Tolkien. Um, there's also a scene that really talks about the danger of not showing someone grace, right? Or, or being overly harsh with someone. And you mentioned my precious, right? So that's the Gollum character who says that. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene, it's not in the movie, but it's in the book. And there's a scene in the, in the book where Gollum has been, um, he's leading Frodo and Sam, the two main Hobbit characters, and they're up in this dangerous mountain pass, okay? And they're sleeping, and Gollum has gone off to try to find some food on his own, and he's come back, and the two Hobbits are, are still asleep. And Gollum is looking at them, and the narrator describes Gollum as just this old, bent, broken creature. And he's really pitiable, right? And, just, and it says, for a moment, Gollum looks like he really just wants to, to, to join them and, and help them. And, um, and again, the, the feeling it creates in the reader is one of empathy and, and sorrow for everything that he's been through. And then, sure. Sam, and then Sam wakes up when Gollum's reaching out to sort of touch Frodo in a kind of a friendly gesture. But, but Sam wakes up and sees Frodo, and it looks like he is the phrase that's in the book is pawing at master. That's what Sam calls Frodo his master, right? Mm -hmm. And so it looks like Gollum's reaching out, maybe trying to attack him. And so Sam wakes up and he's startled and he's angry. And he says, well, what are you doing? And he calls Gollum all sorts of names. And the narrator says that fleeting moment passed beyond recall. That moment where Gollum might have turned good. That moment where he might have turned a corner. And instead of being this wretched character, become a redeemable character. And, in, and what finally pushed him over the edge was a harshness from Sam, who in almost every other instance in the book is a wonderful gentle character and so it shows that even even the best-hearted people are going to make mistakes and those mistakes can have big consequences and so that's kind of a warning and a reminder and again I, Sam's my favorite character uh, I love his heart I love his story and it's a great reminder that no matter how much we want to do the right thing sometimes we're going to screw up and we have all we can do after that is the best we can do uh, and so I, I love that aspect of the story as well very cool very cool and you know, I'm glad that you've been able to pull those things out and use those into <laughs> helping teach others, you know, because mm -hmm. it's, it's all about just making these lessons relatable. You never really know, uh, you know, I, I see people saying the exact same things all the time, motivational mm -hmm. speakers, 
Yeah. And, and for a long time, it was kind of just like, why? You know, everybody's saying the same thing, but you never know what nuance, you know, mm-hmm. what flavor of it's going to resonate with somebody. And so, right. you know, for you, uh, it, it's through Tolkien, through Lewis, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what I share in my classroom that isn't from the textbook is lessons from the books that I read. Um, and so it may be Tolkien, it may be Lewis, it may be, like I just spent a lot of my summer rereading the Tom Clancy novels, the Jack Ryan books, uh, and those have been a lot of fun. Um, but I do, I, I, love to, I love to share stories from parts of history that maybe we're not studying right now. So today I was teaching in my ninth grade class about um, the beginning of the Cold War. Right. And so that's a lot of fun. So, yeah, we talk about the creation of NATO and we talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis and we talk about the space race and the arms race and the the mutually assured destruction policy of us in the Mm -hmm. Soviet Union. Um, And in discussing those things, it's also fun to bring up how different the world became because of the huge advance of technology at that time. Prior to the 1950s, if you were going to drop a bomb on somebody's head, you had, to, you had to have it in an airplane and drop it, or you had to shoot it from within a couple miles as an artillery piece. But by the mid-1950s, late-1950s, you can shoot a missile from a continent away. And so the whole aspect of like the whole warfare has changed forever. And it's incredible to, to look at that because kids um, don't understand how very different the world became in the past 20 years, right? So the students I teach, a lot of them are ninth and 10th graders. They're 14 to 16 years old, most of them. And um, they can't imagine a world pre-smartphone and wireless internet, right? For those of us who are a little bit, like I'm 37, when I was in college, if you had any computer in your dorm room, that was a high-tech dorm room. The idea of wireless internet was still very brand new and very slow. These kids can't imagine a world where you can't just pull out your phone and pull up something on YouTube and watch sure. it. It's, I tell a story from when I was in high school. Uh, the 1994, I'm also a big soccer fan. So the 1994 World Cup occurred here in the United States. And um, the final of that World Cup was the first one to ever go to a shootout. I didn't watch it. I went to, I ended up, I, I watched the game. And then when I went to a shootout, it was time for me to go to youth group at my church that night. So I left and went to youth group and I came home and I wanted to find out what happened in the game. Well, today you pull up your phone, you type in ESPN, you, you know, you wait a second and a half if it's slow and it pulls up. Back then, it took me an hour and a half to download a single photograph of one of the shots in the shootout. Again, mm-hmm. just for younger listeners, please let that sink in. I'm not exaggerating at all. It took 90 minutes using my dial-up internet to download a single photograph. And it's really hard to get that across to 14-year-olds who have high-speed 4G wireless on their you know, smartphone 10s or whatever the heck they are now, their iPhone 10s. And they just can't imagine a world like that. No, absolutely. And so it's, it's just fun to make those comparisons and parallels. I really enjoy when they, when, they, when they realize all the stories their parents have told them, their parents weren't exaggerating. <laughs> you know, back when I was a kid, people didn't have cell phones in their pockets all the time. If you had a car phone, it came in a bag and you had to plug it into your cigarette lighter. Oh, they yeah. kind of roll their eyes. It's like, no, no, your parents were, were not lying to you. That's really how it was. Ow. okay so i remember eight track tapes yes yeah we had an eight track player at my grandmother's house when i was a kid (laughs) they were a little before my time but i remember them yeah yeah i got about a decade on you so you know yeah uh, it's some fun stuff yeah cassette tapes and eight tracks we still have a vcr half my movies are on vhs tape and i didn't realize that was one day until my friends had it or my daughters had to spend the night and so they had a, a friend come over and they're like what is this (laughs) 
this is a this is a VHS tape. What's a VHS? It's a, it goes in the VCR. What's a VCR? It's like, oh my goodness. And yep. so you put it in, and you know, there's no there's no menu where you choose what you just put it in and you put play and you fast forward through the previews if you want to. You know, and they go, what is this? I'm like, this is this is how we watched movies before you had DVDs. Yeah, this is so primitive. <laughs> Yeah, I totally get it. So, uh, yeah. so in the last two minutes of this part, I want to make sure I get this in because you you mentioned it, and of course you piqued my curiosity. You said you have the ability to accidentally irritate women of all ages. Yeah, I'm really good at sure, that. I want to make sure we hear what the heck that's all about. So my superpower, as you mentioned, is the ability to unintentionally irritate women of all ages. Um, I, I found this out when I was a teenager that I could anger my mom, my little sister, or any of my friends without actually trying. And I think it's just because of an inherent character flaw. Oh. I think I just don't pay enough attention to other people. Or I don't think ahead of time. And I, I really, I really put my foot in it um, when my now wife and I were dating. So I'm divorced and remarried. And I got two kids from my first marriage. And um, my now wife and I were dating and we were hanging out at my house. My ex-wife came over to pick up the kids and take them back to her house. Right? So as she's doing that, I'm talking with my ex-wife. She's in her car. I'm standing outside it. My girlfriend, now my wife, is standing behind me. And I spent about five or ten minutes talking with my ex-wife in front of my girlfriend, reminiscing about movies we used to watch when we were going to sleep in bed. And I didn't understand why that was a bad idea. And, and my, my girlfriend went kind of <laughs> walking up the stairs rather forcefully, much more forcefully than usual. And I turned around and I said, did I do something wrong? And she just looked at me and said, oh, you think? And I went, I, yes, I do. I do think I did something. I don't know what, but I would love to learn. And she just, she gave me the same look you're making right now. She's like, you've got to be kidding me. How can you possibly be this dumb? Because the thing is, like, I'm not stupid. I told you, like, I studied at Oxford. I'm a pretty decently smart guy, but I am an idiot when it comes to all things female. And that was just one more piece of evidence. Now, this is how I know God has a sense of humor, because I also have two daughters. And I'd like to think that I've gotten smarter when it comes to anything female. I have not. I have not. And so I'll say something to one of my kids and they'll go, dad, what? You can't say that. That's mean. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't. Why is that mean? And then they explain. And I go, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, I'm sorry. I said that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Give up I don't hope. know if give up hope now. I don't know if other guys have that problem. I know that I'm kind of an idiot. I'd like to. I, I've coached girls soccer for years. I've got a wife. I've got two daughters. None of it's helped. Oh, the only. All- yeah, we're all morons. The only female I even semi-understand is my girl dog. And that's it. Fair enough. That's it. Fair <laughs> enough. Wow. Well, Joe, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. I really appreciated learning from you and, and diving into, uh, you know, beyond, uh, beyond the business. And Certainly. You know, because I am man of my word, of course, I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor for five minutes to talk about, well, what, you know, what, how people can get in touch with you, what you got going on business-wise. Sure. It's up to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. So outside of being a high school teacher, uh, I'm an author and a speaker, a professional speaker and a coach. I work a lot with young adult leaders. um, And I also do a lot of blended family coaching, again, divorced and remarried and and helping other people in similar situations learn how to do that better. Uh, So if people want to get in touch with me, easiest way is to come to my website. Uh, It's joelwhallbaker.com. That one's being built right now. Um, There's also, you can come to my leadership website. It's real life leading. 
com. I also have another website that uh, that one's got some blended family stuff. The other one that's all blended family is called stepdadding.com. Um, you can find me on all my social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Joel W. Hallbaker on all of those. And I would love to talk with anybody, anybody, any of your listeners, if they want to talk Tolkien or Lewis or history or soccer or puppies or how we don't understand women, any of those things, I would love to chat with them about. Um, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on here and talk about things that I love. Uh, it, it's, it's fun. I did, again, I had an earlier interview today. We talked leadership and I had a blast because I love talking about leadership. I've studied it for years. I wrote a book on it. That's been cool. Um, but I also love talking about other things. It's really fun because when I'm on stage, a lot of my leadership examples come from history or they mm. come from Tolkien or they come from C.S. Lewis. Like one of the chapters in my book was all about comparing the leadership legacies of Queen Elizabeth I of England and Napoleon Bonaparte of France. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was comparing them from the standpoint of, are you interested in being a successful leader or are you interested in being an impactful leader? Because I would, I would argue that Elizabeth was much more successful, right? She helped England transition from Catholicism to Protestantism. She kept the country um, independent from Catholicism despite, you know, a dozen or more assassination attempts. Uh, she fought off the Spanish Armada. She ruled England for decades and laid the foundation for it becoming the world empire that eventually became. She was very successful. Almost nobody studied it. And that's a shame because they should because she was awesome. On the other hand, you have Napoleon. He conquered all of Europe. He was exiled twice, right? He was not a success long-term, right. but he was the kind of man that is now statistically the second most written about human being to ever live right behind Jesus. When you talk about like books and articles and stuff written about someone, really? Jesus, yeah, Jesus is number one, Napoleon Bonaparte's number two. Hmm. And, and everybody's heard of Napoleon, whether they knew it or not. Cause when you're a kid, you're scared of the boogeyman. Right. Well, that's a nick. That was a nickname for Napoleon Bonaparte. He was known in the British press as Old Boney, and then Old Bogey, and then the Bogeyman, and then the Boogeyman. So when you're a six-year-old kid and you're afraid of the Boogeyman coming out of your closet, you're actually historically referencing Napoleon Bonaparte, even though you don't know. Huh. Yeah. So, anyway, but see, this is why we do this, people. <laughs> this you can't you can't find this stuff just anywhere. That's true. That's no, true. You, have, you have to talk with really nerdy historians. Uh, to, uh, you know what? I can totally nerd out with that. <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, uh, we're about out of time. So any last words? No, that's it. I really listen. I've had a great time. Thank you, Lee, for having me on. Uh, again, it's been a blast. And uh, I would love to connect with some of your audience members. And uh, if I can do anything for you or anything for them, please just let me know. Absolutely. We'll have all those links in the show notes, too, so people can get in touch with you. So, uh, again, we're out of time, but if you found Lee After Dark more entertaining and relevant than most of the drag out there, then subscribe to the Lee After Dark YouTube channel. And now, get Lee After Dark in your pants. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and who the heck knows where else. So you can enjoy us wherever you stick your phone. Until next time, this is Lee Rowley with my new friend, Joe Hallbaker. Be present and be well.